Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, great, great show lined up today. We've got our guy Peter Burns coming up in a little bit. Lots of different stuff to hit on with him. We're going to do Southerners in snow and figuring out. So look forward to that. But first, quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks. It's a fun subject to talk about, right? Oh, yes. Big, big quarterback tiers guy, big quarterback rankings guy. And this is that time, bro. It's the pre-preseason. We're getting ready, man. I'm not doing quarterback rankings today. That might come eventually, though. I've tried to kind of stay away from those just because it's really difficult in the transfer portal era to do quarterback rankings because it's like, okay, how do I value somebody like Spencer Rattler who mm -hmm. hasn't played in his system before, but at the same time, he has a resume and Jackson Dart and, and some of these guys where you're just like, well, if they haven't done it in the SEC, how do we compare that to guys who have? It's very, very ball. difficult. <laughs> right? Exactly. It's hey, if you play against the Big 12, what does it really get? No, I'm kidding. But so we're going to stay away from rankings for now. There will probably come a time and a place in which we'll do rankings and tiers and all that fun stuff. But today, we're going to predict all of the SEC's week one starting quarterbacks for 2022. But we're going to say that these are way too early predictions, mm -hmm. which means that we can correct them if needed. Injuries, transfers, off-field issues, or just bad on-field performance, they could change these rankings. But I figured this would be a good time to get ahead of this before spring ball, before we start to see way too early videos of these random guys who you can all of a sudden sell yourself on, be like, whoa, they showed up to camp looking really, really good. And sometimes it's good to just be able to evaluate this based on what we know and what we just saw. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on roughly half of these guys, or I guess it's eight SEC jobs that I feel like are locked in. All of these guys could absolutely be at SEC media days. It is their jobs to lose, meaning injury, off-field issues would be the only thing preventing them from starting. These are those eight. Alabama's got Bryce Young. Arkansas has KJ Jefferson. Georgia has Stetson Bennett IV. Boy, do Kentucky. They. Yes, they do. Uh, forever and ever. Kentucky has Will Levis, LSU has Miles Brennan, Mississippi State has Will Rogers, South Carolina has Spencer Radler, and Tennessee has Hendon Hooker. We are hen dogs. Georgia and LSU are maybe the only ones there. Might be a little bit of pushback. And for, for the Georgia side, I still come back to the belief that winning a national championship outweighs anything that Brock Vandegrift or Carson Beck could do in fall camp. Even if there existed a world in which they could drop out of school, say, hey, uh, let's let's go join the, the, the USFL and we'll, we'll just see if we can run a team there. And if they led a USFL team to a championship and then won MVP honors in the championship game and they came back to Georgia and said, we think we should be starters. I think Kirby would still probably say, well, Stetson Bennett did end the 1980 joke, so he's probably going to get a little bit of leeway there. Mm -hmm. I think he will be the opening day starter for Georgia unless one of those things happens, even though I am really, really intrigued by Brock Vandegrift, and I think he's kind of perfect for the Todd Munkin offense, and I'm going to try and hold back on my excitement just because it's probably wasting my breath to assume that he's going to be a starter unless something happens to Stetson Bennett. Oh yeah, I mean, well, if they were going with not Stetson Bennett, it would, they would have gone with JT and he's already gone. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, he, it, the, the writing is on the wall that we are back again for Stetson Bennett the 15th. We are yes. locked and loaded. It's, uh, it's like the Lethal Weapon movies. Right. You know? 
just going to keep cranking them out. Just assume they're still going to be there. And probably the fast series, which I right. Marler is way more into that than I am. Which I, if you're if you're into those things, uh, by all means, all right, that, that's fine. Never never quite been my speed. Not much of a sequel type guy, unless we're talking about a certain Home Alone two, maybe D two Mighty Ducks sequels for the most part usually don't live up to the hype but whatever miles brennan is um he's leaving lsu if garrett nussmeyer is the guy right i just threw my hands up bro i have no he has to it's same thing he's there for a reason he came out of the portal his thing is uh, he could stub his toe in camp and never see a football field again right like, if they can just bubble wrap him i think he's the opening day starter does he finish the year i say almost certainly not because like Dude, he's been there like five, six years, and I feel like every year but the year he was truly a backup, he's ended the year injured somehow. Yeah, we're going to have more Miles Brennan talk eventually, and we're going to have to do some sort of a deep dive on him, but it is kind of fascinating that once he finally gained that weight that everybody said was make or break with him staying healthy, he ends up playing three games in a two-year stretch. So... Don't necessarily think that was the biggest issue, though obviously some of those injury concerns with him early in his career with his weight now look a little bit justified because he hasn't exactly been durable just yet. But I do think that Miles Brandon will be given the opportunity to be the starter unless something happens mm -hmm. to him. Also remember that Brian Kelly pretty rarely starts an underclassman at quarterback. Remember, he went into the transfer portal, he got Jack Cohn instead of deciding that he was going to go with one of his young blue chippers. And he's like, hey, I need somebody to replace Ian Book. Jack Cohn made a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Brian Kelly tends to favor the older players within his system, hopefully not to his detriment in the same way that a Dan Mullen did for a little bit there. Oof. Yeah. We're going to move past those guys. All right. Those eight jobs. If one of those guys isn't going to be the starter, you're, we're going to be talking about it pretty extensively and, and why that dynamic is, is certainly in play. So six openings here. Auburn, Florida, Mizzou, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, and Vandy. Should we start with Auburn? Have we had enough Auburn talk on the podcast sure, the last month? I feel like I am a certified <laughs> Barner right now, dude. I got I almost it. got the whole roster down at this point. <laughs> Love it. The way too early prediction is TJ Finley. I don't want to repeat myself too much here because I know we have talked a lot about the fit of JT Daniels and for what it's worth, that's what I'm hopeful is the development after spring camp here, even though I don't think Brian Harson has the guts to make that kind of a move because he already has five guys in that quarterback room, three of which power five transfers. He has five guys and the guy who has been there the longest is D Davis, who was a 2021 recruit. Again, that is just, crazy turnover right that, that, that doesn't typically happen at a power five school but the three power five transfers in case you forgot tj finley zach calzada and robbie ashford from oregon i'd be surprised if ashford was anything more than a project he's still trying to get into his first game he's apparently not going to be playing baseball this spring so he's got a little bit more time to be able to devote to football we'll see how all of that plays out but i'm not holding my breath on brian harson being like yep that was my guy that's why i went out and i got him Calzada had an entire season with really favorable surroundings at AM, which we need to remember that. And some of those weapons, the backfield, all of those things working in his favor. And he was just so ineffective for all, pretty much all of 2021, with the exception of the Alabama game. This isn't news. I can't imagine that Brian Harson saw Calzada, Calzada's body of work and said, yeah, I'm going to turn you into the starter who saves my job. 
just don't think that connection was made. And I hope it wasn't made because uh, the writing's on the wall there as well. If you wanted a pressing side-by-side, -side, look at Calzada's 2021 next to Auburn's quarterback play, which was roughly one-third Finley. So it's not all on the former LSU transfer. Basically, Vandy was the only SEC team who was less effective if, in the SEC. If you look at yards per attempt, quarterback rating, which were both in the bottom one-third of the FBS rankings. And if you tell me, oh, what about the rushing? Quarterback rating doesn't take into account all the rushing and all that stuff. Prepare yourself for another depressing side-by-side, -side, which is the mobility of Zach Calzada versus the mobility of TJ Finley. <laughs> Pretty bad as well. You don't need to see that, all right? We don't sure, yeah, I mean, you could write it down. I don't know what it does for you. They're both negative, but yeah. Not exactly gonna be that DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill race we're talking about here, okay? A little different. I would just like to see those two guys in like what, like an NFL skills competition, like with the targets at different yardages. I think that's what we need to see. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope for the sake of Auburn fans that the starter is not Finley or Calzada. I really do. The unknown, this is something we're gonna talk about a lot. More of a theme this off season, I think. The unknown is so much more attractive, mm -hmm. but it's hard to envision Harson being the guy to roll out a week one starter as someone who has never played a college snap. That's three guys that he's got in that quarterback room. Finley is the guy by default for now, and the sell will be that we didn't see him healthy down the stretch, which is, that's what a, a hope merchant would say. Right, Will, did it, I do that right? It sure is. If we were just healthy, we would've won that game. I've done it a million times, Connor. Yeah, the new OC, Eric uh, Kisaw? Kisaw? Rhymes with Seesaw, maybe? Sure. I don't know, we're gonna, yeah, he's right. got a whole lot of owls, whole lot of owls in that name that I have, We'll have plenty of opportunities to mess up, I'm sure. And we'll hear about him at, at some Brian Harson press conference in a very, very short matter of time, I'm sure. But he is the new offensive coordinator in case you did not hear or that just got lost in the shuffle. Promoted twice by Brian Harson within his first year at Auburn. Mm -hmm. Guy's doing something right. Remember, he was the one who replaced Cornelius Williams as receivers coach. I don't want to knock the guy necessarily, but he went from being Harson's offensive coordinator at Boise State in 2020 to taking a job on Auburn's staff as an offensive analyst. Interesting move. Because he was a mole. Just say that. He knew he would raise up through that. Here he is. His plan worked out. I mean, <laughs> that tells me that Harson sees something in him that the rest of the market does not. Right. I'll kind of leave it at that. We're assuming Harson's gonna be the primary play caller. It seems like he wants to take those responsibilities back from Mike Bobo, who, uh, yeah, down the stretch, clearly struggled in that department. I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever about who is getting the final say with the quarterback battle. That will be Brian Harson's decision. No inside hire, inside promotion will make or break that decision, it will be all about Brian Harson. So for now, TJ Finley will be the guy until maybe, hopefully, JT Daniels transfers to Auburn. Florida. Another battle that we just sort of touched on a lot, go listen to that, the podcast that we did with Anthony Richardson talking in depth kind of about his promise, his upside with Billy Napier. Um, I already tipped my hand by saying I think Richardson will be the guy, I think he needs to be the guy. The only thing that could get in the way of that, in my opinion, is health. As I should have mentioned on the Richardson segment that we did um, recently here, 
he is coming off that meniscus surgery. Shout out to North North Gator for reminding us of that mm -hmm. on Twitter. But worth remembering that we're, we're still dealing with a new staff, right? If Richardson is really struggling with the pre-snap stuff and it's just not quite registering in the way that you would hope, there is still a chance that Napier could go with someone like Jack Miller who transferred from Ohio State, technically the lone quarterback in that room that Billy Napier hand-plucked at this point. Mm -hmm. Something to remember. Meniscus tears, they aren't ACL tears by any stretch of the imagination. Meniscus tears really, really common, it seems like, these days. Which means that even if Richardson is somewhat limited in the spring, he should be ready to roll when those reps are going to count in the fall. I'll be surprised if Florida's got all five quarterbacks on that roster come fall camp. I just don't think that happens. Four four-star guys, four guys who were recruited by the previous staff. There is turnover coming in that quarterback room. It's just a matter of time. And he's coaching his coaching staff, and maybe those guys are just trying to figure out what exactly that's going to look like. But Richardson and Miller are really the only guys that would surprise me if they transferred this offseason. We talked about it the other day, my suspicion that Emory Jones is going to see what the market looks like after spring, and he'll work on his decision making in the offseason right now in spring camp with Billy Napier, a system that's really similar to the one that Dan Mullen ran. So he can kind of sell that to his next staff or wherever he ends up. That's my guess. TBD on that. Who knows? Maybe he does want to stick around at Florida and kind of roll the dice. Maybe Anthony Richardson has deeper issues than you know what his potential would suggest. I'm really intrigued though by Jack Miller and how he develops. If Joe Burrow taught us anything, please just start stop every comparing sentence. people to Joe I Burrow. Should... I am begging you, Connor. <laughs> but you see what it did? That that just got your attention right there. Oh God, but... I've been hooked. I got I got baited. What's up? Let's hear it. If Joe Burrow taught us anything, I can't even say it with a straight face. If he taught us anything, it's never discount an Ohio State transfer when he comes to the SEC. Right. Right. That's it. Right there. Okay. Uh, kidding, obviously. But remember. Miller technically has four years of eligibility left because 2020 didn't count against anyone and he only appeared in four games this past season at Ohio State. Interesting project for Napier to inherit a guy that set all of these records as a four-year starter in high school in the state of Arizona, but he was just never going to beat out Justin Fields or CJ Stroud. And uh, like I said last time, Kyle McCord, the five-star coming in, his odds weren't great to be able to win that job and ever be the guy at Ohio State. He could be one of those guys, though, who quietly slips into a backup role and he ends up starting games in 2022 because of an injury or, or something like that. But as of right now, this is Richardson's job, barring an injury. Any disagreement there? I hope, you know what I'm saying? Like, we just want to see Richardson. He's fun. That's all. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm just hoping because at this point, it's like I've seen enough Emory Jones. I mean, yeah, there's like you said, there are some other guys in the room that don't super, like, interest me. It's just I want to see Richardson in this offense. I'm, and I, I like the point that you made about maybe it is actually a huge brain play by Emory Jones to see what the market is as opposed to like when there's a billion quarterbacks out there, kind of wait till the dust settles, wait till there's like, you know, a battle that's not going great, work with Billy Napier and maybe if he doesn't get to where he needs to go or if he doesn't win the job, which like we both don't think he will, kind of get a hand pick like, all right, let's get Billy Napier's blessing. He's really well liked. Get me to a spot where I know I can like succeed as opposed to just kind of going out there. So yeah, no, I, I really, really hope it's AR. He's so fun, man.
And because Emery's also one of those guys too, where he's gonna come to camp probably with the right mindset and have all these positive things said about him. He can kind of play that up a little bit. Right. And if you're Billy Napier, ideally, you would kind of hope to have Emery Jones on your bench as well, because there are worse insurance policies than him. Again, oh, yeah. I, I want Anthony Richardson to be the starter. Let the record be known. I'm not sitting here advocating for Emory Jones. But at the same time, if you play that right, you show up with the right mentality, the right approach. And I think he gets his degree at the end of the spring semester as well. So also, you don't have to necessarily deal with that. That's kind of a lost in the shuffle thing about this of, oh, yeah, these guys like go to school and be kind of a pain to have to figure out what transfer credits work and what don't and that whole thing. But just being able to go through that process and then being able to reevaluate where things are at after the spring seems like a logical path for Emory Jones if he decides to take that. Mizzou. The way too early prediction is Brady Cook, and I don't feel great about that. Probably some Mizzou fans who feel a lot better about that than I do. Um, I want, I'm gonna say this, I want Mizzou fans to have happiness at quarterback because the last three years post Drew Locke have been underwhelming. Let's call it what it is. Injuries, inability to stretch the field, they have been a hindrance to the Mizzou offense and they have had to turn to their backfield way too much. Ideally, they don't. They have more balance. They're able to actually have explosive plays downfield. And that's not entirely on Eli Drinkwitz, but some of it definitely is. On the surface, he would say, perfect. This is sort of what I expected in my quarterback room going into year three. He's got one guy from each of his three classes that he has signed so far. They all kind of have varying skill sets as well. They're not a prototypical mold. They all kind of have their own strengths and weaknesses. But what worries me if I'm Drinkowitz is that I don't necessarily know that any one of them is ready to solve the biggest issue. If you can't stretch the field, you have to be a superior running quarterback. I thought Brady Cook had some nice, nice moments with his legs in the bowl game, which was when we saw most of him. That's right. pretty much what we're basing a lot of this in-game sample size on, um, especially early. The, the game script, just straight out of a Josh Heupel playbook Mizzou had in the Armed Forces Bowl. And Brady Cook's got the long rushing touchdown, and Mizzou fans are saying, all right, we, we, got, we got something different here. And then it was almost like the broadcast crew for the rest of that game just decided to put all of their entire judgment on that one drive, and we're skipping things later on, but whatever. Right. So we see that mobility play out. We see Tyler Macon, Tyler Macon kind of showed off some of that ability against Georgia as well, where he was able to make some plays with his legs, not a ton here, the numbers weren't great, but is either one of them about to turn into some game-changing mobile quarterback? Based on what we've seen so far, I would say no. Cook had a prime opportunity in the bowl game, and it was different than the script that we expected. And we were talking about how this was kind of going to be an open audition. We'd see Macon as well, and this would just be an opportunity for, for, for Eli Drinkwitz to see what he really had at the quarterback position. Uh, opening drive, yeah, great. You're feeling good about that decision, but when you go 56 minutes between touchdown drives against the Service Academy, sorry, but the buzz just calms down a little bit. It simply has to, yeah. Yeah, if it doesn't, I, I don't know, we're, we're watching different things. What gives Cook the best chance to win the job is if he gives Mizzou the chance to make something happen when plays break down, right? Like that's that's his skill set. That's what he's probably going to, to, to hang his hat on. And having a couple years in the system is going to benefit him in that way, even if they go to the transfer market. 
Bazelak struggled with that, especially after the Kentucky injury. It just did not happen for him. I don't think we see Drink pull a Gus Malzahn and start a true freshman at the risk of watching his quarterback room transfer, which is very much on the table. As intriguing as Sam Horn is, um, he's got all the gunslinger stereotypes about him. Not, not your typical, a lot of people would probably be surprised to know, number eight quarterback recruit in the country, 2022 class. Elite 11 kid, 6'4", 190 pounds though, needs to be able to add some of that weight. He also is not enrolling until the summer. So I'm not counting on him being a, a week one, day one type of guy in that offense. I think there are, there are major, major risks there and something really bad would have to happen if they're turning to him that early in the year. I continue to think that Mizzou is going to be a post-spring player for a transfer quarterback. But Cook is my guy for now that I, I would pick there. And also, a take that I've been kind of sitting on for a little bit, and I, I've, I've written about this a little bit, I think it's just something worth remembering. I know I've seen some Mizzou fans talking about this as well. There's a ton of pressure on Eli Drinkwitz to get his quarterback room figured out this year because of Luther Burden. Top receiver in the 2022 class, had a ton of big time contenders after him, obviously, because he's number three overall recruit, but he stayed relatively local. He's an East St. Louis kid. Um, he, he made that decision to stick with Eli Drinkwitz to, to play at Mizzou. This is like when you're having friends over who have never seen your house and you want them to be impressed and not think that they're walking into a pit, right? <laughs> right. I don't think Mizzou is a pit. I mean, their passing game has kind of been a pit the last couple of years. Let's, let's be 100% honest. Right. But having a bad passing game in his first year would be a really tough pill to swallow for that staff, knowing the way that the portal sets up now. And if tampering isn't regulated, then Lord knows that kid would have plenty of people calling for his services. So just something to kind of keep in mind as you, as you watch this quarterback battle and the urgency that we need to see from it. You know, man, and this might just pull you off to the side here. Sorry about that. But, like, I saw, like, some tweet that Jaden Daniels had transferred there, but apparently he came out and just said he didn't. But now, like, Power Mizzou is talking about it. So he's the Arizona State uh, quarterback. Yeah. I don't know if that adds anything. I don't, it's not confirmed, really. I'm not saying it's happening. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Should we even talk about that? I, I, I just, it seems like they just keep talking about it. I don't know if it's official, but I, I think that would add a new dimension. Um, like you said, I, I think that they have nothing really, you know, there's not a guy there that really blows you away. So I think he would at least be in the conversation if he does commit there, but it's reckless speculation at this point because he hasn't committed yet. Well, I, I think that's the exact type of guy that they could get. I mean, I really do. And I think it's somebody who wants a change of scenery, somebody who doesn't necessarily feel like they are that threatened by that battle, not some right. incumbent starter that they have to overtake, somebody who started for more than half the games the previous season, which Mizzou doesn't have that now with Connor Bazelak off to Indiana. But I think that that type of move, you would have to look past if you're a Mizzou fan, the awkward exit that Jay Davis <laughs> clearly had from yeah. Arizona State. Where, I mean, talk about not being liked in the locker room. I mean, we literally saw him getting ripped in the locker room and his locker being ripped to shreds or whatever. And there was stuff with his parents and that whole deal. Arizona State's a mess, all right? <laughs> like that, old, that old situation is bizarre. I have no idea what to expect, what to think, on, on which side of that argument until we get all the facts to, to come out of what's been just such a strange last year plus 
for Herm Edwards with all the COVID stuff and all the dynamics that was at play with that coaching staff and how, you know, they, they, Anton, the Antonio Pierce thing was just strange. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's, that's a long-winded way of saying that. I would not necessarily hold that as a strike against Jaden Daniels if he were to transfer to a place like Mizzou. Right. Okay, let's go on to Ole Miss. Um, the way too early guess here is Jackson Dart. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make that as slam dunk as some might think, though. Lane was going after a quarterback no matter what in the transfer portal. I mean, that, that was going to happen. It, it honestly wouldn't even surprise me if you added another quarterback in the transfer portal. You lost Matt Corral to the NFL. John Rice Plumley left for UCF. He wasn't going to be playing quarterback anyways. Cade Renfro left at the end of the 2020 season. So it was basically down to Luke Altmeyer and Kincaid Dent. Bowl games matter because if Altmeyer had lit it up against Dave Aranda's defense, think about the conversation that we'd be having about him. Yep. Talk about offseason hype train. Dude would have it, no doubt about it. But instead, Lane goes out, shows off the Aston Martin. He gets someone from the same 2021 class that Altmaier is a part of, who was more impressive as a true freshman, that is Jackson Dart. Dart enrolled at Ole Miss in January. So this isn't one of those situations where Altmaier can take this massive step forward in spring ball as the guy getting most of those first team reps. I would expect those will be split probably at least three ways with Dent a part of that as well. The path for Altmaier is using that leg up of having one more year in Kiffin's offense, which is a real thing. And even Matt Corral admitted how difficult it was to be able to get some of those concepts down. Having a year in that system could benefit him come spring game time. That's where we're really gonna kind of see this play out. And if all of a sudden it looks like side by side, Altmaier is just a far better player then hey, yeah, Kevin doesn't owe Jackson Dart necessarily anything. He doesn't have to worry about him walking because he already transferred as an undergrad. So that's kind of safe for him, you would think. It's also worth mentioning, and I do a bad job of this. I did a bad job of this in the heat of the moment. But while Altmaier didn't necessarily help himself to be able to lock down the starting job with what he did in the Sugar Bowl, talk about a brutal spot to be put in, man. Oh, yeah. Like that, Matt Corral, piece of iron. We've said it before. That's, that's who he was. That guy is as durable as they come. He never left games. Mm-hmm. And Altmaier, I think, could have better days ahead. But it's also probably not fair to just write him off. When we're talking about a true freshman who had to come in mid-game, neutral site, and try and light up Dave Aranda's defense, which was in the midst of its best season in school history, I mean, loaded with NFL guys, they are. And we're going to see a lot more of those uh, when, when the draft comes and all that stuff. We'll look back and be like, wow, that Baylor defense was even better than we probably gave him credit for. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I think Dart's ability to stretch the field combined with Zach Evans' emergence is going to open up the playbook. Zach Evans, the transfer running back from TCU, had one of the more wild recruitments that you'll ever hear about, but Listen, was if really you're a good. college football fan, you should know who Zach Evans is because he was probably committed to your school at one point. You were probably really oh, yeah. excited about him, and now he's an Ole Miss. <laughs> you could Google Zach Evans with pretty much any Power 5 school, yep. and you'll get a Google result. <laughs> Something will come up at some different point. Uh, but he is now at Ole Miss, in case you missed that, kind of one of those lost in the shuffle transfers that could have a major impact in 2022. But the biggest thing with Lane, he's just always one of that guy who can open up the playbook the most. My guess is that Jackson Dart is that dude based on what we've seen so far. My other guess, again, I don't think Lane is done adding transfer quarterbacks. 
Because remember, he did not sign a quarterback in this 2022 class, and Altmaier could theoretically bolt and play elsewhere if he senses that a dude from his same exact class is going to be the starter. Lane is not tipping his hand on this one. He's just not. I'm fully aware that we're gonna go into week one and he's probably not even gonna have any sort of public announcement maybe until the week of the game. And that's that's like earliest, it feels like, unless of course one of those guys transfers and then it becomes very, very obvious, but he's gonna try and keep that depth as much as possible. Um, it, it actually, the interesting thing too, and I didn't even bring up Dent really, but Lane is so protective of keeping that quarterback room, what, what he has left of it, that he named Dent first when he was asked about the quarterback battle. But Dent's not going to be the guy, I'm guessing, because otherwise we would have seen him in the Sugar Bowl instead of a true freshman coming in. Mm -hmm. So um, that's more of just a coach trying to uh, trying to, to really understand the dynamics of play, very thin quarterback room. And it's probably not a, a true three-way battle as he's going to make it out to be moving forward. Any old Miss thoughts before we get to the big one? I will say, man, with Altmaier, he definitely didn't have a good end of that game. I think his start was good. I think that was a very typical young quarterback who, you know, they just go in waves. They go in runs, and when things start going bad, they snowball. But if, you would, was good. if you would only, yeah, if you would only watch kind of like him when he got into the game, pretty much. And then, yeah, like you said, like, it's he kind of just had runs. He had times where he looked really good, and I hate to be like, you know, hate to be a hope merchant, but I, I feel like he's a good player. I don't know. So I, I think that, you know, Ole Miss has one of the more promising quarterback situations because it really doesn't feel like there's as much of a bad decision to be made there. And like you said, like they still have other options. So Lane's gonna figure that out. Like there's one thing, you know, I haven't been like the hugest Lane guy on here, but figuring out quarterback is like something he's straight up going to do. As an Ole Miss fan, you're going to have a good offense. You're going to have a good quarterback. And it's just whichever one he likes more, it's probably gonna be the right choice. Yeah, it, knowing Lane, I, I think he still goes out and gets Jackson Dart, even if Luke Altmaier tears it up in the Sugar Bowl. Oh, yeah. Because if you can, if I, you I can really add, think it's that. an arms race, dude. I mean, if nothing else, it keeps him away from somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? That you figure it out later. And if somebody has a transfer, well, then that's, that's, you know, that's part of your job as a coach is just to stockpile talent and the cream rises to the top. And they got you know, a bunch of talent over there. Yeah, that, that will be treated by Lane as a true battle. We'll wait and see how that plays out in the spring. We'll get to see both of those guys side by side. Um, I, I said the big one, tongue-in-cheek here, because we're talking Vandy. I didn't want to end with Vandy. I, I, I've been going in alphabetical order, but I didn't want to. I, I always feel like that's anticlimactic, so I, I don't really want to do that. Early lean here, Mike Wright. Surprising development to see Ken Seals stay at Vandy when ineffectiveness injury essentially made it a lost 2021 season for him with the new coaching staff. Wright got all those starts late, and he was built probably better to play with the bad surroundings of an offensive line that just was not on par with what you should be at the SEC level, but having above average mobility really helped him. And as much as I think Clark Lee has underutilized the transfer portal in general, I did like that he signed three quarterback recruits in this 2022 class. One of those is AJ Swan, who's an elite 11 kid, probably the future. He enrolled early. He wants to be the guy from the jump, just like Seals was in 2020, albeit with a different coaching staff. Swan might be the most likely true freshman SEC quarterback to start a game in 2021. I just don't think that Joey Lynch, who officially got the offensive coordinator promotion a couple months ago after he weirdly took over play calling duties following week one, I don't think that he wants to start a true freshman immediately and risk having a quarterback room of nothing but true freshmen. Because you're essentially telling Mike Wright, Ken Seals, adios, this isn't happening for you. 
Maybe that's a better formula than last year because Vandy was bottom 10 nationally in essentially every Everything. passing yeah, category. Name a category. It's, they're there. Yeah. Um, I think there was one. Oh, what was the one? I don't think they were bottom 10 in interceptions. I could be wrong on that. You know, you got to think... control that football, son. That's the number one key. key to winning games against UConn. Clark Lee is a defensive-minded head coach, just wants to control that football. Yeah, man. Exactly. Hit the nail on the head. I'll, I'll go with right here just because I think he brings something a little bit unique to the table. And there appeared to be a little bit, at least a touch, of some late-season momentum on the off offensive side of the ball with him as the guy. I'm guessing you don't have Vandy thoughts and we can go on to Texas A&M. No. Yeah, I'm good. Just good for Kinsey. getting a good education. Good for him. Um, all right, A&M. The most intriguing quarterback battle in the country for me. Got a little bit of everything. I love that. You've got the five-star true freshman, Connor Wiegman, that Jimbo is just giddy about. You've got the transfer, Max Johnson, who had the most casual 27 to six TD to T ratio in human history. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, you've got the guy who won the job out of camp last year, Haynes King, who I said was the ultimate X factor in the SEC before he ultimately was out with the season ending leg injury. Assuming that he stays healthy, I think he's the guy. And assuming that he stays healthy, this battle will be really, really good. King and Johnson are both class of 2020 guys, mm -hmm. former four-star recruits, of course. It's a fascinating study in the known versus the unknown. I might have to do an entire, we might have to do an entire podcast on the known versus the unknown. Mm -hmm. Will, you know Max Johnson. You know him really well. Give me your best breakdown of who Max Johnson is as a starting quarterback. Well, see, the issue is, like, he just had terrible OC, so it's really hard to tell. I mean, Jake Peets, like, is just me or you could do his job better than him, and I mean that so seriously. Um, I think you're right. Like, he had pretty, like, casually good numbers last year. Uh, there were times he got way too locked in the Kayshawn Boutte whenever he was in the lineup, and then when he went out of the lineup, he struggled for a minute, then kind of started to spread the ball around a little bit more. He's a guy that is a dual threat, but wasn't really allowed to do that last year because of the the, the depth issues at LSU. I think last year at LSU, honestly, set him back. I, I think that he was a fine player for LSU. He had kind of the brunt of a lot of the offensive struggles because Pete's was so bad, because the running game never got going, the offensive line was terrible, a lot of stuff. I, I personally think Max Johnson's a fine quarterback. He doesn't have like NFL upside. Like he doesn't really have a great arm. He's kind of small. Um, but in terms of like the college fun guys, he's really tough. Uh, like I said, he could be a dual threat guy. He's really good off of like kind of that play action where he, or like an RPO where he has the ability to run. Again, LSU used zero of those for him last year, but I think that hopefully Jimbo would see that. Um, he. He's never really been like a huge dual threat quarterback guy. He's had some that played for him, I know that, but he's not like, he hasn't really been in that mullen mold where it's like, oh, if I have a dual threat guy, I'm gonna run everything that way. Um, so he's an interesting fit at AM because I would think that his logic, other than, I mean, the reasons anyone goes to AM, right? But his logic behind going to AM, I feel like, would be to get him a little bit in more of a pro style system. So that being said, like I said, making those type of reads isn't something that he's super good at as far as what I've seen, but I do think that, you know, he could learn. Okay, that was like a, that was great. That was perfect. That was exactly what I was hoping you were gonna say. That was like a two minute breakdown essentially of Max Johnson. Yes. Compare that to the breakdown that one could give of Haynes King, okay? Better than Zach Calzada. Step one. Definitely better than Zach Calzada. <laughs> that has been established, proven in court. There is no doubt in my mind. King has a really, really similar skill set to Kellen Mond. Can make all the throws, 
both exceptional athletes who can bust a long run. They can extend drives with their legs. They really like to work the middle of the field. They let plays develop sometimes to a fault. If you told the average A&M fan that King's upside would be like what Kellen Mond's upside was, they'd probably say, that's it? <laughs> really? That means no All-SEC, no 30-touchdown pass season, probably no top 20 offense for A&M. Those things sound pretty lofty because they, they, they are, and we can't necessarily take those accomplishments for granted. And if you told the average A&M fan that King will post passing numbers similar to what Max Johnson did last year, they would probably also be kind of underwhelmed, which is also at the same time crazy because Max Johnson and Kellen Mond were totally passable SEC quarterbacks who were largely overshadowed by SEC quarterbacks who were in the same class, who had greater upside, no doubt about it, greater upside. Their upside was not on that elite level. But it's so hard not to be invested in the unknown as it relates to King. If he plays a month last year, it's a different story. Mm -hmm. He basically played a so-so shaky game against Kent State where it really took him a little bit to get going. And then he got hurt after an ineffective first quarter against Colorado week two. If he was good enough to win the job out of camp once, then obviously Jimbo likes his traits and feels that he can execute what we know is an extremely complicated offense. This is not exactly a plug and play situation. It usually isn't for Jimbo Fisher. Now, if King doesn't trust his legs after the injury and he's not the same caliber player, that changes this battle and Jimbo will see that play out through spring camp and into fall. Any version of King becoming an all-ICC guy who leads A&M to a potential division title includes him being a true mobile dual threat, whatever you want to come up with. He's got to maximize all that potential. But what is that potential? That's what we still don't fully know. Assuming he's able to make a full recovery and the legs are there for King, which it sounds like he should be able to do that, I am going to roll with the relative unknown that is Haynes King for now. How does that, is that fair to Max Johnson to say that an unknown guy is better than the guy who we feel like we've already kind of maybe seen his upside? No, yeah. I mean, we've joked often about Jimbo and his like quarterback battles and how he always says they're close, but it doesn't really feel like they are. So, I mean, Haynes King probably had a pretty good, um, pretty good like impression on him. And one thing that's like, I feel like, I don't know how much is talked about, but I feel like it's not talked about enough is, you know, the reason why Max Johnson ended up at A&M, I think, because he was a package deal with his brother, and that's a guy who's really good. You know what I'm saying? He was a top 100 recruit, last I checked, at tight end. And so it's not like Jimbo went out and needed to go get a quarterback. It was like, oh, if I pick up this tight end, I, it comes with a quarterback. So it wasn't like he was dissatisfied, I feel, with his quarterback. I, he needed to get a quarterback. I'll, I'll disagree with that. Okay. I, I think he needed a quarterback. I, I think he needed that just because you, you lost Calzada, you didn't have, you essentially, the Eli Stowers thing didn't work because he switched mm -hmm. to tight end, so you, you missed out on a quarterback there. I, I think he needed a quarterback. I think you need to feel like you have three guys who are at least somewhat competent in that area. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I feel like he, he actually legitimately needed it. The package deal, though, made a ton of sense. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I don't even necessarily like, I'm just saying it wasn't like he set out. It was like, I am getting a quarterback no matter what. I think it just worked out great for him. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, this happens to come with a quarterback. And, and you know, so there's a couple of ways they could go. Obviously, um, Wiegman seems like the guy long term. Like He's just a nasty recruit. Jimbo loves him. So that's kind of the thing about this current class of quarterbacks is really it's more about 
solidifying your job this year and then fending that guy off because he's obviously, I don't think, going to start this year. But, yeah, it's it's a very interesting situation. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that Haynes King probably should be the guy given familiarity with the offense. I think there's only been one instance. I think it was Everett Golson in 2015 um, in which a guy has come into the Jimbo Fisher offense and started without multiple years of experience. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's the only example. I could be wrong on that, but I, I looked it up. I mean, at least dating back to Jameis, that that we know because Jameis was a redshirt freshman when we started at the time. But that's Kellen Mond is, I guess, an example of a guy who didn't necessarily need a year in Jimbo's offense. But that's excluded because, of course, nobody had a year in his offense. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like he brought a quarterback with him from Florida State. So, um, but I I, th- I could I could see Max Johnson winning this job. I could. Mm-hmm. I wonder how willing Jimbo is to put aside the the, the unknown. I, I really do. I, I think that's a such a key decision to have to make for him is what what do we really take into consideration with the small sample size we saw from Haynes King in 2021? Or does Jimbo automatically revert back to what he saw in camp and kind of have this little predetermined bias for Haynes King because we know how much Jimbo likes to invest in his quarterbacks. We know he doesn't like to make those midseason switches. That has not, that is not his forte. It never has been. So um, yeah, AM though, a lot of different moving pieces and can't wait to see the way that that plays out. Any other quarterback thoughts? Just in general, overall, this is this is your forum, Will. Any yeah, quarterback man. thoughts whatsoever? Position outdated, we should just go to the Wildcat. <laughs> man, remember the Wildcat? <laughs> I, that was a fun oh. time. Oh man. Anyway, that one time Miami was good. Anyway, so yeah, no, I think that like kind of coming into last year, right? It was a big time like quarterback. I'm not gonna say wasteland, but there were just not a lot of proven guys, you know? And I feel like this year has been great because not a ton of guys left, really. I mean, yes. Stetson Bennett came back, Bryce Young and Cumbin Heisman winner came back. Even Emory Jones is back somehow. So like, literally, like it seems like there's very little, you know, Hinton Hooker is back. So there's very little attrition. And then some of the guys, you know, Max Johnson, Zach Calzada switched teams. So uh, it seems like this is, you know, we've talked about it over and over again, as far as this year in 2020, that didn't count against eligibility. And now, you know, there was kind of like roster depletion in 2020. Um, and then it kind of started building back up as, as guys had additional years and now we're really seeing that we're looking across the SEC where you talk about there are eight teams that have incumbent starters that's the highest number I've seen in a while and then a couple of these other teams are like oh they have two like hard decisions because they're good players like there's not really a ton of teams that are like I don't know like hopefully this guy will do something uh so yeah I just I look up and down like the quarterbacks of the SEC and I, I truly feel like this is like the SEC that I kind of grew up with kind of like that you know, 2010 to 13 era where it's like everybody kind of had their guy. It was your guy versus the other guy. And, you know, you never know. Obviously, we're just looking a thousand foot view. Guys could transfer. Guys could get hurt. Look at you, Miles Brennan. There could be any type of, you know, anything could happen from here. But just in terms of the talent that is currently in rosters, it doesn't seem like they're, you know, knock on wood, because obviously it could be my team, but it doesn't seem like there's, like, you could get halfway through a season and there's a team that's just listless. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if, you know, Jackson Dart gets the start and then gets hurt, it's like we got Altmaier, like, all of these teams have, like, depth and a lot of young depth where it's like, ah, like, maybe this guy's not going to leave yet because he might win the job next year. So, yeah, I just feel like the quarterback position is as good as it's been in a long time, man. Last year... 10 of 14 SEC teams either had new starting quarterbacks or new offensive coordinators. Wow. This year, that number probably going to be, I think that number is going to be about seven, mm-hmm. maybe maybe seven. Kind of depends on how a couple of these things play out. 
You're right. And I do feel like it has potential to be a very special year for SEC quarterback play. When we do these quarterback rankings, there are going to be fan bases who are really, really upset to see that their guy is maybe only six or seven, but they might see him in another national ranking as a top 10 quarterback. Right. I think there, there are going to be a handful of those guys where we really are, and we will be talking about them a lot in the preseason, and there are going to be legitimate gripes uh, across the board about not getting enough love or this guy's not all SEC or that guy's not all SEC. And it's like, well, man, we already know one of those spots is reserved, okay? <laughs> Bryce Young is getting one of those spots, so good luck getting the other two. Really, really difficult, but quarterback play should be excellent in the SEC this year. We will update these quarterback rankings. Probably post-spring, we'll, we'll do an updated prediction. That's, what, that's probably what the, the direction that we're heading in right now. I'll say real quick, too, there are lots of schools that historically aren't good quarterback factories, talking South Carolina, Kentucky, even LSU to a degree, Tennessee, like that recently really haven't had like quarterbacks. And it's like, oh, yeah. not they have a incumbent starter. They have Spencer Rattler, Hendon Hooker, Will Levis, like guys that are coming back. And it's like, we know this guy can play SEC football. It's not that we're being sold a bill of goods in the off season. It's like, no, like this, they're building on something here. Hope merchants, take a break. Take a break. Right. It's you're in your gear, Hope merchants. Sorry, <laughs> we have real production this year at the quarterback position. Let's kick it to our guy, Peter Burns. Great to catch up with PB. Been a minute since I had uh, talked to him on these airwaves, so touched on a little bit of everything. Here is Peter Burns. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the one and only Peter Burns. PB, so nice of you to be able to take some time away from the golf course to be with us here today. Appreciate you doing that, man. Um, I played earlier today and it was just horrible. I played actually good on vacation. I ended up shooting 68 at one round and I'm like, man, I can't what? wait to play. And like, there's like, there's a certain thing in golf, like there's an equation, the more you look forward to a round of golf, by far the crappier you're going to play. So like, I couldn't even get to bed last night. I'm like, all right, tonight, you know, I can't wait to play tomorrow. The weather's going to be good. Then I played horrible. So um, that's just the way it is. But you know, life goes on a little bit, right? Have you thought about what the hole in one reaction is going to be? Or just you're not going to cross that bridge until you actually have to come to it? I actually lipped out today and I was like, I don't even know, like I need to start thinking about it, practicing it. All I know is that the fact that McElroy has one and I don't, and then Nate Oates has one and he doesn't even play golf. Like it triggers me a little bit. And then I was playing golf with my dad about, um, about, I don't know, maybe a month ago. And he's played since he was 20 years old. He's 71 now. And right in front of me on the eighth hole over at our course in Charlotte, he ends up making a hole in one. And I think I was more excited for him Connor, than, than, than myself. I was like, I was super pumped for him. Cause I'm like, all right, I got, I got a couple more decades to try to get mine. He finally got his. So you'll get there eventually. I, I feel very, very confident. It, it's going to happen. You're going to be able to rub, rub it in McElroy's face so much. Like that moment for you is just like 2019 LSU national championship to type levels for, for you in terms of like personal satisfaction. I'm going to be the most annoying person because I'll probably post it 30 times and not one person. Like, nobody cares what you shot in golf. Nobody cares, like, your fantasy football team. Nobody cares about, like, your poker bad beats. Like, these are all the conversations that people have. They're like, I'm listening to you, but I give zero Fs about any of it. So I, I get it. It's totally self-serving, but sooner or later, I'll get one of them. So Let's play a game. I say you get exactly one of these for the rest of your life. And the other, you get none of. So, mm. to quote Caddyshack, which is one of the most overrated movies of all time, um, you'll get nothing and like it. That's that's the okay. approach. Um, yeah. Okay, so you get one hole-in-one or you get one more national title. 
No more, no more than that, but you get nothing of the other thing. Um, here's the deal. Like, so is it, is it football or is it baseball or can I pick the national championship? Cause I'm trying to say, because I'm still giddy over 2019 as an LSU fan that I'm like, I'm okay for a little bit, right? Like okay. there wasn't some 40 year old itch that I needed to scratch like the Georgia Bulldogs or A&M that's trying to, you know, win one in this modern era. Um, it would mean a lot for baseball because I grew up such a big LSU baseball fan and now Jay Johnson's there. But damn, I don't have a hole in one. So this is like a total selfish thing. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to say I'll take the LSU baseball championship because I'm betting on myself that I'll finally get the hole in one. And if not, then it's at least something I can at least attain. So I'm betting on myself that I can get the hole in one, but give me an LSU baseball championship or at least give me two weekend starters right now. Cause I think LSU bats are incredible so far, but I'm not, I'm, I'm a little worried about their pitching so far this year, early in the, uh, you know, the first big week of the, uh, of, of the season, Connor. <laughs> on the, on the football side, are we about to see miles Brennan finally play a full season at LSU? Is it happening? I mean, I hope it was kind of a freak deal. I mean, even the first time he got injured and the second time, of course, I think it was at the fishing camp and just kind of a freak accident. Um, you know, I hope, I mean, you know, I mean, he's been there since like 1997. Mm -hmm. I think he was there like behind Jamarcus Russell, if I'm not mistaken, on that yeah. chart. Um, so I'm, I listen, I, I was happy because I knew whenever, I know a lot of people that wanted to go after Keyshawn Boothe and like, they were like, all right, guys are transferring out. Um, what's going to happen. I think the fact that Miles was there, Keyshawn stays, that, you know, people are happy. There was news today that John Emery is going to be eligible this year. Remember, there was kind of a, yep. a weird scheduling quirk last year because of his school schedule and COVID. He wasn't able to play. So, I mean, that's, that's a good thing. But um, I'd like to see it. I mean, you know, we've never really seen Miles get a full season, you know, underneath his belt. And I, I'm kind of curious what this offense is going to, to look like. I, I don't expect LSU to be a 10-11 win season type team. But my first thoughts, I'm like, all right, if you can go nine and three this year and kind of like everything settles in, you know, start creating a little bit more of consistency around this program, then you, then you can build it right now. I mean, listen, I, I said it at the beginning of last season, like last January, I was like, all right, it's Georgia's year. They're going to win the national title and call your shot in January. And they ultimately won it. Not that that was a big, you know, uh, out of left field pick. But I'm, I'm that way with Alabama this year. I mean, as good as, you know, Will, as long as you got Will Anderson and Bryce Young, I can't imagine they're going to miss any whatsoever. So, I mean, it feels like it's Alabama's year. And the only thing is LSU fans and all, like all college football fans can hope that Nick Saban's totally done with name, image, and likeness and all these other rules changes mm. that he's like, you know what? I've done it. I've done it all. I've set all the records. I'm just going to walk away and go play a bunch of golf. I doubt that's going to happen, but you know, every other college football fan base is like, come on, Nick, maybe, maybe it's time to stop dealing with all these, uh, you know, these, these crazy transfer portal rules and stuff like that. So um, who knows the chaos that that would bring to college football would be nuts if that happened. Yeah. You have to sell yourself if you're an SEC West team fan on not this year, like that, that's, that's where I come back to. If you have these kind of like, Hey, winner bus type expectations, no matter what situation you're in, you're probably looking at this all wrong and you're just going to end up disappointed with LSU. The year one floor is really interesting because I find mm -hmm. myself thinking maybe it's seven and five, maybe it's eight and four. We've seen some of these hires that have looked really good and even losing guys like Corey Raymond, Mickey Joseph, that's been well-documented at LSU, but 
Do you see this as a team that has maybe that seven and five floor, or is this potentially like you were just talking about nine and three? Is that maybe the more realistic expectation for year one of Brian Kelly? Yeah, I mean, I, I would be disappointed with anything that's not nine and three, just simply because I think that should be traditionally the floor of LSU football. You have that good of talent each and every year, and you've got a quarterback who has a lot of experience or has been there for a long time. So it's not as if, all right, you got a Haynes King type situation like A and M had last year. Last year, and Calzada has to come in, and you're like, oh man, you know, this is not like Jarrett Lee at LSU coming in and not ready for the position. Uh, and everything gets thrown at them. So I think there's enough players. Plus, keep in mind, the last two years, they have played a ton of young guys over at LSU, right? I mean, it hasn't worked real well um, as much as we saw in 2019, but there's a lot of guys that, that, that have played some quality snaps that there's no reason in my mind. I'd be disappointed. I sure as hell would be disappointed if it's 7-5. Um, you know, I mean, 8-4, and four, I guess, is kind of the middle ground, but give me 9-3 give me and three in year one, I'll be all right. How sick will LSU fans be if Billy Napier becomes to Florida what Kirby was to Georgia? <laughs> you know, that's interesting because he's right down the road. I, I don't even I don't think LSU fans are gonna think about that, right? Like I don't I, I don't think LSU fans look at, you know, it'd been one thing of like if Tom Herman went to Texas and all of a sudden he became this unbelievable just God out in Austin and it worked real well. I think LSU fans will look at it and go, man, like we could have had Tom Herman had we pushed, you know, in, in, in that deal. And I don't think it would have happened. I think Herman was using LSU as leverage the entire time. Yep. But I think then people would be looking at it like, well, man, we could have had that guy. I, I don't think LSU fans ever really thought, hey, Billy Napier's our guy. Why, don't, why aren't we kicking the tires? Because they always felt like, man, if, if Scott Woodward, after what he did with Kim Mulkey, after the hiring of Jay Johnson, it's like, go big or go home. And then you end up hiring Brian Kelly. I, 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 don't, I don't know if they'll be that big of a we're watching over there. It sure as hell is going to be interesting, too, for as long as we have you know, this, this annual LSU-Florida rivalry, just to kind of see both of these programs put new head coaches at the same time. They'll meet each other every year, at least for a while, until the schedules change. That's going to be that litmus test every year of, like, who's recruiting better. And I'm, I'm hoping. I mean – I, listen, the SEC West is a, you know how it is, Connor. It's a murderer's row. Like, I'd like to see that in the SEC East as well. And we need Florida to step up. We need Tennessee to step up. We need Kentucky to still have those big seasons if they're going to compete with, you know, the thousand pound gorilla, which is Georgia football right now. I want to uh, ask a couple of basketball related questions here before I let you on your way. Um, I, I think that looking at the SEC right now, it feels like it's been all over the place with certain teams, but. Heading into the home stretch here, it feels like there's four teams who can win the conference tournament, make it to the second week of the NCAA tournament, and uh, Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, and then everyone else is just wildly inconsistent. Game to game, <laughs> yeah. all over the place, no idea what to expect. Home road, doesn't really matter. And that's not really a bold take, but how do you see the league playing out with kind of that all in front of everybody? Oh, well, listen, I, I think the league is in maybe as good of a shape as it's ever been, right? And there's only what you look at, you know, Georgia and Missouri that have really kind of struggled. But outside of that, I kind of feel like even like South Carolina, you catch them on a bad night and, and they'll outmuscle you and, and they can play with anybody. Um, to me, what I like about where the SEC is at right now is I can't remember the last time, if ever, we've had two legit chances to get number one seeds, right? Between sure. Auburn and Kentucky. So I feel like, it's an absolute chaos if neither one of those teams make the Sweet 16. The difference is with the other teams 
is that normally you would have like a seven and eight seed, maybe a nine seed that kind of gets in where Florida is at right now. You've got a bunch of teams that are baked in to be like three, four, five, right? And I, I think I love that. You know, I can see Arkansas catching fire, which they have lately. I mean, Tennessee's always a really disciplined team. Alabama, hell, you catch them like LSU and Alabama would strike fear in me if all of a sudden they come in as like an eight seed and they got to play or a nine seed and they got to play like a one, one or two. Yeah. Right. I mean, because I'm thinking, I'm like, if you get Xavier Pinson healthy and all of a sudden you get a bad matchup and you can't, you know, you're having a bad shooting night and LSU just runs you out of the gym just defensively in their transition. And then what about Alabama? Like, I like the teams that are in that kind of mid-tier for the SEC. I feel like LSU, Bama, I, I put even Arkansas to that point. It's like, hey, if they catch fire on any given night, like, you're done. Like, you're just... You know, it's like NBA Jam or like, remember when you play, uh, what was it, Tecmo Bowl and you'd guess the right play and you had no chance? Like, that's that's what it can be. And I could also see them all flaming out in the first round as well, too. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I said it yesterday on Twitter and I get it. I'm an SEC apologist, but I'm like, you look at what happened just now in football. You look at where we're at in basketball, like we just talked about. Women's hoops is going to have nine teams in and the number one team in the country. Baseball and softball. You've got track. You've got five teams in the top 10 in gymnastics right now. I'm like, dude, like, is this, is this the golden age of SEC sports? Have we, have we ever had it this good as far as this many teams that could compete for a title and the depth, the interest? And, oh, by the way, Texas and Oklahoma are in the wings just like, hey, put me in coach as well, too. Like, I don't know if at any point since this conference has been created that – the athletic programs are in a stronger position of power than they've ever been. Somewhere Danny Cannell just dry heaved big time. <laughs> big <laughs> no, because even time. Danny, even Danny knows it. That's the beauty part about Danny. And Danny's great. Like he pretends to be upset about it, but he'll acknowledge it because he is sharp. He just knows how to needle people properly. I, I talked to Danny a decent about the national championship. And yes, he very much knows it. There's no doubt about it. Like he's, he's well aware of what he's doing. Um, last basketball question for you. Have you been to any SEC games this year? Or have you been kind of locked into the, the studio thing? Yeah, that's what, that's the only thing. Like I got the absolute flipping dream job, right? Somebody was asking me like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to die in this job. Like I want to be in this job until I'm 72 and they're telling me to get the hell off the set. Right. Literally um, die in studio. Like that's literally like that would probably be, you know, <laughs> well, maybe that's a little bit far, but um, the, the situation is right now um, is I can't really ever go to the game you know, because I'll, I'll work and I'm in studio. So I get so jealous when I talk to Andrea Carter or, you know, Alyssa Lang or some of our other uh, people and Marty Smith who are there because they get to see what it's like, right? Like when Florida rushes the court, which is still kind of crazy. I don't think Florida should ever rush the court, but it's a different story. I was there. Um, it was, it was yeah, pretty weak. Yeah, I mean, but just Katie George, my ESPN co-host, she was there in Fayetteville when Arkansas beat Texas mm -hmm. in football. And I'm like, I want to experience that, but that's, that's the only thing about my, uh, my dream job is that I can't actually go to the games unless it's like SEC championships. So I'll, um, that's okay. I still get to go to Omaha and SEC baseball tournament. Um, so I'll, I'll be okay with those things. So. That's true. I mean, you're, you're a jet setter. I mean, we kind of casually ran into each other at a Cubs Rockies game in Denver this past summer, which I mean, PB you're everywhere. Like you're all over the place, even though you are in studio. So I'm sure, you know, I'll run into you probably when I'm in Utah or something like that this summer. So nobody. No, that'll be Chris Doring, like Doring, Doring on our Sirius XM show daily. He's missed like 43 shows. 
mostly because he was like the flights. He's like, oh, the flights out of Tulum, Mexico, <laughs> weren't me. working, or I couldn't get home from Puerto Rico or Newport <laughs> Beach. I was at the white party in the Hamptons. I'm like, when I grow up, I want to be Chris Doring uh, to a certain extent. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Uh, at least have his abs. That's that's the goal. That's what everybody Dude, wants. No kidding. My gosh. Ridiculous. He looks like one of the, you know, those old men in the, like the eugenics commercials or whatever. He's like 79 years old. And he's got a oh, yeah. six pack. That's going to be Doring whenever he gets older. Oh, so. that's that's him now. I mean, let's be honest. Like CD is, sure. he's at that level. He's worth it. How did we get to talk about Chris Doring's abs here on the I podcast? Know. I feel weirdly uncomfortable and how how smooth of a, uh, a transition it was as well, too. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Before I let you go, Players Tribune, uh, tell me what you're doing. You're, you're, uh, I know you're teaming up with our guy, uh, Aaron Murray here, doing some cool stuff. And also, can you explain what an NFT is? Yeah, so so it's interesting. What's funny is, you know, uh, Aaron started doing this stuff called the Players Lounge. And what they did was they lost. Oh, uh, Players Lounge. Uh, yeah, I said Players yeah, Tribune. No, no, play. I meant, yes, yeah, I was going right. to be like, man, that's where the Players Tribune is, where you go and, and say, I'm taking my talent from somewhere else. But um <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a project that I've just kind of been more interested in anything. Like I always thought that like for NFTs, like sooner or later, um, you know, they're kind of these collectibles, but what they are is they're going to give you an opportunity. And what was brilliant about it is they set it up at Georgia going, Hey, when you collect these, you have an opportunity to win. And let's say that you get an NFT and it's got one that has sets embedded on with an autograph. Well, that's, you know, you get an opportunity to do that. And so I told him, I was like, well, if you're doing it at Georgia, why not do it at all college and universities, right? So, you know, they're going to be launching a bunch of different schools, which they've talked about LSU being one of the next ones that's going to launch, which is exciting. So, you know, I look at the success that they had over at Georgia and, you know, they did something like almost saying like a, almost a million dollars in those sales. And they were able to go back to the student athletes for name, image, and likeness. I'm like, this is a really cool opportunity. The student athletes can get involved in it for a, a way for them to make money an opportunity to have kind of a collectible um, so it, it, it's interesting. It's called Players Lounge. So look it up and do, and do the retail or research on it. And there was a great article that Christy Dosh put on that got me interested on it uh, over in Forbes that talked about how, man, this is kind of, you know, the future of maybe even ticketing about like all of a sudden, you know, Saturday Down South can have an NFT and then, you know, they do a thousand of them and, you know, four or five of them have, hey, here is, you know, it's got a little emblem that says VIP and you get to go to a VIP tailgate over at the, you know, SEC championship game. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of the future of what we're doing. And now the fact that student athletes can make some money off this thing, like, I don't know, Connor, I, I don't know about you, but I'm like college baseball. I think it could be huge. Like think about like Oscar Shibway over at Kentucky, right? Oh, yeah. Like Kentucky is so much, so good right now. And he just got cleared to do name, image, and likeness deals. I'm like, is there a world where Shibway isn't like a top 25 or a lottery pick in the NBA, but he can make enough money at Kentucky to where it's like, man, I, I, I can go to school here another year. And Kentucky's a fan base with name, image, and likeness. I would imagine that could do pretty well for those student athletes. I mean, hell, Ty Ty Washington was what driving a Porsche already. So I'm like, that's not a bad life to kind of work on your game. Like, is that a better lifestyle to be? I mean, what would you choose right now? Would you rather go G League or make a pretty decent amount of money and be a big man, literally big man on campus in Lexington around oh, one yeah. of the most storied programs? And now they're, it looks like they're going to make a, at least a, a pretty deep run in March this year. 
Yeah, Hendon Hooker is another great example of that. Yeah. Dude is killing it. Like, Tennessee hasn't had a quarterback. Like, a returning quarterback has been the man in forever, and he just gets to benefit off this for, for the next several months. Agree with you 100%. It is the the future, and good to see you're doing great things with the Players' Lounge, not the Players' Tribune. We'll get it. We'll get it squared <laughs> away, man. It's cool, man. I, like, and what we did was, you know, we designed um, the, you know, the NFT logos and stuff like that, or the, the actual NFTs. And they have all these different traits. So, you know, like they have the board eight yacht club. That's one of the big NFTs. They all have these different traits, like the ones at Georgia were awesome. And I told Aaron, I was like, that's nice, but we got to make sure that the LSU ones are, are even nicer and Alabama's and stuff like that. It's, I, I got a feeling like it's kind of being like on the ground floor or something that's going to be big and uh, hopefully as big as my uh, upper deck uh, King Griffey rookie cards from back in the day, man. Those are my favorite. Oh, the best, man. The absolute best. I'm a sucker for all things Griffey. Um, I literally have. So in my in my closet at the house is I've got a, you know, I mean, it's a PSA rated nine. It's not like anything great, but it's the upper deck King Griffey junior card that I bought. And I'm like, it like brings me this, stupid amount of joy every day when I get ready for the studio stuff. It'll be like, there's Ken Griffey. Like no reason. Like Ken doesn't know Ken Griffey Jr. doesn't know who the hell I am. Like I've never met him, but just like looking at a stupid baseball card, like brings me back to my childhood. I'm like, this is awesome. You're a kid, kid at heart as always, man. 41 or I think I'm 42. I don't even know how old I am. Like that. I live in the dream, man. It's uh, it's fun. PB, you're the best man. We'll talk soon. See you guys. What's my destiny mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Excellent subject for today's Figuring It Out. Shout out to you, Will. Something we briefly talked about the other day. Very briefly. Southerners in snow. Will, you will be embarking on a skiing trip very, very soon. So this can include that. But correct me if I'm wrong here, you're referring to just any sort of interaction that Southerners might have with snow, correct? Yes. Okay. That, that covers a lot of stuff. That's uh, skiing, snowboarding, one of these made up Winter Olympics, X Games type things. If you're doing that as a Southerner, I, I would love to be able to hear from you and how you got involved in that. Some of these people are doing Winter Olympics stuff. They're like, yeah, they're from Ocoee, Florida. I'm like, what? How? Dude, the... Where? The speed skating team is like all from Ocala, man. Like Brittany like yeah. knows them. There's like a gold medalist this year. There's a couple of participants. Like apparently Ocala is just horse racing and, and speed skiing or uh, skating. Yeah, it's Ocala. I messed it up. I said Ocoee. I meant Ocala. My bad. That's <laughs> you're exactly right. But yeah, just doing it in Florida. Why, why not? That's a great place to develop your winter, uh, your winter Olympic dreams, of course. Um, so personally, I am not a native Southerner. Mm -hmm. as Anybody who has ever listened to this podcast knows, so I wouldn't consider myself the target demo for this subject, even though I've lived in Florida for six and a half years, and I am now a very big wimp when I travel back to the Midwest during winter. I can admit that. I also spent the first 25 years of my life dealing with snow on a pretty, pretty regular basis, so I, I'm not exactly southerner who freaks out when snow comes but it's still you know an adjustment period of course i drove in it way too much for my liking during those nebraska days holding on for dear life some of those trips um, where i'm driving on i-80 my old 97 toyota corolla <laughs> <laughs> just please daphne get me from point a to point b <laughs> was your car named daphne <laughs> yes she was Love she was that. the damsel in distress <laughs> it sounds yes. like it yeah 
Uh, I managed never to get into a snow-related accident out there driving that thing. I don't think I, I didn't get into any accidents out there um, in that thing. Rest in peace, Daphne. Great, great vehicle that we had to lay to rest about four years ago. Yeah. Peace. Pour one out um, for Daphne. Yes, we should. The only time in which I was involved in a snow-related accident. Well, I say accident loosely. I'll see. I want to let me explain this story, and you can tell me if it's an accident or not. It was during my very brief time in my life in which I drove a truck in high school. Mm -hmm. I was merging onto the highway. My high school girlfriend was in the front seat, Ford Explorer, like old Ford Explorer. I think I was 16 or 17 years old at the time. And as I was picking up speed, the truck must have just hit a patch of black ice. And because it wasn't snowing or anything like that, it just started drifting and I had no control. Not drifting in a good way, drifting in a very, very bad way. I came to a full stop in the left lane in the middle of the highway. I could look to my left and see oncoming traffic. Oh no. How we didn't get hit, I do not know. I, I think that the only thing that saved us was the fact that the highway started about two miles from before where we got on. So not a ton of traffic in that area. It was like, if we had just been smack dab in the middle, you know, like in the Schaumburg area or something like that, nobody listening to this is gonna understand that point that I just made there. But <laughs> if we were like really smacked, I'm talking like I-90 or we're on the Edens or something like that in the Chicagoland area, it would have been really, really bad and we would have had serious injuries probably. But somehow the car was fine, we were fine, and we just kind of turned to the right and kept driving. Adrenaline was through the roof at the time. Are you like a screamer um, in those moments? Like, you, ah, like what's your... <laughs> Nobody knows how they're going to act in those moments until they actually happen. Right. I think I yelled. Mm -hmm. A high-pitched yell. It wasn't quite a scream. A screech, some would say. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's what it is. I, I, you probably react in that moment how you do, like when you're on a roller coaster and... Just like whatever, whatever emotion you have in that moment, kind of take over. And for that, for, for that moment, I was terrified, like unbelievably scared. Was really shook the rest of the drive, and I, like the rest of the drive on the highway, I'm going like 45. Mm -hmm. I was, dude, I, I was that's like, so underrated. When you almost have oh. a crash, and you're sitting behind the wheel of your car after, and you're just like wiggling back and forth, going like 50 miles an hour, like. Hello, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta get over to the right lane, but I'm going too slow to do this. I was that person. There were probably people driving on the highway who were like, what is this idiot doing? I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna lock in. I don't wanna lose control of the car. And got it, guys. The worst, the worst part of this story is that I'm pretty sure we were going to Red Robin. Oh boy. My man's Bottomless fries. ready to die for that Red Robin. Ready to risk it all, as the kids say. <laughs> That's not what they mean by that. I remember thinking to myself, so that definitely would not have been worth it to get seriously injured or die just to get Red Robin, which is like a decent cheeseburger. Decent at best. Mm -hmm. Why we had to go to that Red Robin that was at, the, at Woodfield Mall or something, like that, I don't know. But it was, it was terrifying and there was a lot of immediate regret afterwards. Will, have you had any near-death experiences because of snow? <laughs> So this one time, that's a yes. <laughs> so this one time, I whatever I went through like snowpocalypse in Hoover, Alabama. That wasn't even that deep for me because I had a truck at the time. I'm a truck guy, as you know. 
And this one time, me and Brady, my UCF buddy, went to the Fiesta Bowl, where LSU was playing UCF. And we thought to ourselves, we're going to see the Grand Canyon. This is like the day before the game or the day after the game. And oh. so we tell ourselves, or we're like, okay, like we bought passes or whatever, but we, we called an audible. Like we did not have this, that part of the trip planned at all. So we were like, okay, boom. We're like, we're going to rent a car. We were like, okay, boom. You know what I'm saying? We rented the cheapest, crappiest car because we were like, you know what I'm saying, younger. And it was same day, so it was expensive. So we were like, cool. So we got this like, you know what I'm saying, like 2010 Hyundai, like piece of crap car that was like, it was like one of those weird crossovers. It's not quite a car, but it's definitely not an SUV, whatever. So it's like a hatchback mix yes, or something yes, like that. Yes, exactly. It was a hatchback. Yeah. So we're driving to the Grand Canyon and we're from, you know what I'm saying, like the East Coast period. So we don't really understand how like desert works. And we keep driving, bro. And it starts snowing. And then it starts like blizzard snowing. And I'm like, like, we looked at each other. This is a point where we're like, we probably, like, took a little bit more risks in our personal life. You know what I'm saying? We looked at each other at the exact same time and said, it's about time to turn around there, Kibasabi. Because, like, literally, we saw cars starting to kind of skid in front of us. And in that yeah. moment, I was like, oh, I usually drive a Jeep, and I wouldn't be worried whatsoever about this. But this car is old. It's crappy. I've never been in it before. <laughs> so, and we're like, mind you, like, we got about, like, a couple of miles into the snow before. Because we were like, oh... We'll get up there or whatever and then we got the email that the thing was canceled and we were like because like the we had like a guided tour it got canceled so we were like oh crap so we sat at this starbucks bro in whatever arizona for like hours because we were like it's still snowing bro at this point it's just gone past us so we can't drive through the snow downhill that seems like an even worse idea so we were just sitting there oh, asking man. people about snow we were like so like uh should i like hit my e-brake like what do i do here and so, <laughs> so after a while we just kind of said like whatever and we just kind of like you know, did the uh, hazards, drive 30 miles an hour, creep it, tiptoeing through the snow. It was a horrible time. Like, we literally couldn't conceptualize, bro, that at towards the Grand Canyon it would be a blizzard. And then it just happened, and we were like, oh, okay, sure. We went to the Grand Canyon in June, and they told us right before we got there that it snowed there. And we thought they were joking at first. In June? So, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, it snowed late May is what it was. Ridiculous. Like, oh, yeah, you guys, are, you guys are lucky there's no snow here right now. We're thinking, are we? <laughs> yes, apparently. <laughs> uh, so I, I totally understand. Right when you said that, I, I, I thought, yes, because the weather there is way different than what it is in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. you, you can go Grand Canyon and it's like, you know, 60s or something like that and then go to Phoenix it's 107 out. Yep. It's crazy, the, the, the temperature change. And you're exactly right. When you start to see those people on the side of the road who have skidded off or <laughs> done something, man, when a semi is flipped over on a two-lane highway and you realize, oh, man, that could have landed on me. Right. They could have swerved into the median and had no control and hit me in oncoming traffic. All of these thoughts start to enter your brain. And the heart just starts racing a little bit more. I've never driven with an Apple Watch while driving in snow because I, you know, I've lived here. Right. But I got to imagine my heart rate would just be through the roof in some of those moments. I've had some white knuckle experiences, man, where like driving at, at one in the morning in Nebraska before it's been plowed. That's horrible. And I'm, dude, I'm driving on I-80 and it's a, a drive that usually would take me 55 minutes coming home. And instead, I think like two and a half hours it would take oh me. Oh my gosh, bro. There's, there's just, and, and, and by the end of the trip, you get so mad that things are so like unplowed because you're like, you have the resources, you can do this. <laughs> I can see you just alone on a road at 1 a.m. in Nebraska, screaming at the local like parks and rec department. Like, why haven't you oh, cleaned man. this up, local Leslie Nope? 
Oh, I, I I had a couple of times where I would just come in to you know to our apartment in Grand Island. I would just like take off my winter hat and I would just like chuck it at the ground and I'd just be like yelling and like, this sucked and I had to do with this this this. And after a long day of work, that's of course what everybody wants is a two uh, two and a half hour drive home. One quick story before we get to the Facebook group. Um, if you've been a part of a snowpocalypse or something like that or situations like this, I think there was a situation just like this in in Virginia. But I remember hearing about something in Indy, in Indianapolis, where there were like the roads had frozen over and nobody could go anywhere and there was this massive blockage. And I think this was like two, three years ago. And people were stuck in their cars in the highway overnight. And people were just running out of gas left and right. And there was just accidents that had been blocking everywhere so that nobody could go anywhere or do anything. They couldn't clean anything up because the cars couldn't even get there to help. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing horror stories about that, about people just being in their car and having to walk like several miles to try and get some sort of gas, but nothing is open because it's, you know, below, it's like below zero out. And God, I I hope that I am never part of a situation like that because that just sounds like, I mean, that, that is hell on earth. Well, this is why you moved to Orlando, bro. I can almost guarantee you, if you stay there, it's never gonna happen. This, this is true. As you would say, these are facts. Mm-hmm. We asked the Facebook group, specifically the Southerners in the Facebook group, do you avoid snow or seek it out? Driving in snow, ya or nah? And what is the best slash worst memory you have had as a Southerner in snow? Before we start, actually, one last, last question. Will, have you ever played snow football? As someone who's lived in the South your entire life? No, that sounds fantastic. It, dude, it only snowed growing up like twice. So yeah, we didn't really have, yeah. We were trying to coordinate, since we were off school for Snowpocalypse and Hoover, we were trying to coordinate mm. some, some hoodlum activities so we weren't playing football yet. But man, that sounds awesome. Snow football is great. You can tackle people as hard as you want. Pretend that concussions don't exist. Because <laughs> you got a soft landing. See your breath? Come on now. Oh gosh, it's a lot of fun. If you can get a group of at least, you gotta get like 10 people to play snow football because you're moving really slow. You can't just play like two on two. Right. But yeah, like uh, like the opening scene in Rudy. You know, essentially like that, but mm-hmm. with more people. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Drew Page, Drew says, when I was 18, we had a horrible snowstorm here in Lexington, trying to get home, my brakes locked up, and I hit the car in front of me, absolutely destroyed the front end of my truck. Come to find out, I apparently hit someone I went to elementary school with, and they tried to con me out of $1,800, even though their car didn't have a scratch on it, I never heard a word from them again. Oh no. How'd you find out that they went to your elementary school? As they were conning me, I'm sure. It was like, hey, I know you, give me money. Is that part of the con, or is that something that actually happened? It's like, you can trust me, bro. Come on now. Dab it up. You see the scratch, yeah. right? I just I, I find myself wondering, how does that casually come up in conversation? That's a good point. I yeah, I wouldn't remember. even recognize somebody from like just <laughs> elementary school, actually. That's a good point. I can't remember the last time it came up to a stranger. Hey, yeah, I went to James Whitcomb Riley Elementary School. Didn't you? Yeah, facts, man. You just gotta, <laughs> gotta let them know. You gotta have elementary school pride. That's what we have in this podcast course uh the riley rams we wear back in the day yeah man (laughs) carter logan says i'm an insurance agent in north georgia where no one knows how to drive in the snow but everyone thinks they can yep i loved snow before i got into insurance now i hate it he's right just because you have a truck does not mean you can drive in the snow i guarantee you i guarantee you will and i'm not just talking to you when i say this Mm -hmm. but you will see more accidents in snow of people in trucks as opposed to people not in trucks. That is a guarantee, Mm -hmm. guarantee. The confidence is too high. It's just too high because 
your brakes are not nearly as good as you think they are. And that's really where every accident, like the root of every snow accident is based, is once you start to tap on the brakes, how fast you're going, what you can actually slow down from, mm-hmm. and how fast you need to be able to stop, what's that distance like. And I see so, I used to see so many people in Nebraska with their red pickup trucks, which boy, let me tell you, the two states that have the most red, red pickup trucks per capita are Georgia and Nebraska, and it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Those two states, maybe Alabama close third. <laughs> the amount of red trucks I would see on the side of the road during a snowstorm. Every single time I'd be like, so, guess you just weren't as good as you thought you were, were you? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm sitting there <laughs> with my 97 Corolla. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. How's that four-wheel drive? Four-wheel drive can give you a false sense of confidence. It really can. Mm-hmm. Still got to be super careful. I like thinking of myself as a careful driver, as many can probably. <laughs> many could have assumed by listening to this podcast. But um, yeah, he's Carter is 100% right. People think that they're way better driving it so than they actually are. And it's difficult, and you have to be able to kind of read, read the snow. Read the room, read the snow. Tanner Stars says... Uh, uh, well, Tanner just wanted to chime in that he's a Vermont resident to see how funny the snow-related comments were. Um, Tanner, not everybody is privileged going up in a place where there's snow seven months of the year. So, <laughs> Snowflex, wow. Yeah, Snowflex. Lauren Jefford says, uh, one, avoid it. Two, nah. She's talking about... Um, yeah, we, we, we said yeah or not nah for driving in the snow. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of people saying yeah for driving in the snow. And then also, snowpocalypse in Atlanta 2014. I was a first year teacher. I was stranded at a school until nine with students, and then I was able to walk to a coworker's home to stay for the night. What a mess. That is terrible. Oh gosh. That is such a helpless feeling. I mean, we've all, I, I, most people listening to this have probably been through maybe a tornado or a hurricane or, or, or something like that. But when you are just at the mercy of the elements and there's nothing you can do, and especially being around kids too, that would not be fun. It's one thing to get snowed in when you're an adult. Maybe you're on vacation somewhere or you're at least in the company of a buddy who you can turn to on a road trip and say, we need to turn around right now right. or else we're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but to be in the company of kids has to make that stress level like that much higher. And a first year teacher, no less. Man, yeah. that is a, that's a horror story right there. Yikes. Um, we got a few long ones here. <laughs> Just right after I said, right after I said, hey, you know what? The long ones are a little bit tougher to do. It takes a little bit longer to get through. People are sharing got, their like, lives with us, Connor. We should be honored by these long responses. Good point. All right, let's do this one from Derek Walden. Derek says, I love snow and cold weather. I live at the Georgia-Tennessee line, so we're far enough north to get one or two snows most years. I go out riding through the mountains and back roads every time it snows. I always seem to pull someone out of a ditch every time I go out. <laughs> Salute to you. Uh, one of the most memorable moments in snow was the dreaded blizzard of 93. Who could forget it? I remember my parents had cleared the front porch a little. I took off running to where I thought the steps were. I missed them. I was hanging on to the porch banister in a snowdrift that was taller than me. He said he was five at the time. For what felt like an eternity, it was probably less than just 15 seconds, he <laughs> says, until they heard me yelling and came out onto the porch and found me. Overconfidence in the snow. You were five, so you didn't really know what confidence was. Still, always respect the snow. We respect the 335. We respect the snow. And the snow. I was going to say, it seems like he was living in a Christmas story, but then I realized you hate that movie, so never mind. Thank you for not bringing that up, Will. <laughs> Thank you. 
if you were going to bring that movie up, that's exactly what you would say. Exactly. It just seems like a very just adorable little kid memory where it's like, ah, the snow is going to get me. That's great. It was definitely 15 seconds. There's no way. Right. Exactly. But you remember it. You remember it to this day. It scarred you. Andrew Diaz says, going to get in my bag here, so sorry if this is long. Oh, so at least he apologized. I moved to Minnesota in 2017 from DeLand. Not far from you, actually, Connor. He is correct. Started carrying mail in 2018. Walking route, so you can imagine. Snow as far as the eye can see in the wintertime. Best moments got to be either uh, meeting my wife in the wintertime or driving a car with... Uh, uh, all-wheel drive. He did the abbreviation because he's from Minnesota. So we know AWD is all-wheel drive for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the first time in snow, my life will never be the same regardless. Worst moments, getting stuck in the snow in a car without AWD. Bet you wish you had some AWD. Delivering in minus... T- okay, so we would say negative 26 degree weather my first year listening to a bunch of Midwesterners put their hands on their hips and say, Florida, well, what you doing way up here? What were you, what were you thinking, Yanko? Yakno? You know. Oh, you know. Oh, he combined it into one word. All right, my bad. Wasn't sure if this was just some Minnesota thing that I was missing. Right, no, see, the, the Midwestern slander, you're not used to seeing it. But for me, I was like, ah, oh, we're slandering Midwesterners. Good. Yeah, Andrew is probably a lot more well-versed in the snow than... All of us are at this point, but you're going to get a full dose of it in Minnesota, man. You just are. That's got to be such a depressing thing, though. I in I have I distinctly remember when it would snow before Halloween. If it was snowing before Halloween, you're you you would have that initial moment of kind of excitement of like, wait, is this really going to happen? And then think to yourself, no, I don't I don't want this to happen. This is way too early. <laughs> this means there's <laughs> this more. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, or when it snowed in May, I would have sometimes, my birthday is May 3rd, and when there was a chance of snow on my birthday weekend, like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. What? This is this is not the way that it's supposed to be. Because right? by that point, you're spring. so burned out. Like, I know for me personally, like, when oh. I wake up and, like, go to the gym and, like, there's some days where it's 20 degrees outside in Atlanta, like, as recently as last week, I'm just like, dude, we've been doing this for six, eight months at this point. I'm not having fun anymore. Like, yeah, in May, it's like, okay, we've had our snow experience this year, buddy. I throw out an annual text to my friends in February. Hey, let me know when you guys want to come down. <laughs> Just hit me up. Right. February's rough. February gets really, really rough to be able to, to understand that you've had three months, essentially, of celebrating the days in which the sun comes out. That's it. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah, I don't know why, why you leave that, man. Brutal. Matthew Sedro says, I usually love it. A year ago, Shreveport took a nice hit from that big ice storm that brought down the entire Texas power grid. We were stuck in our house for four days because the roads were frozen over and covered in several inches of snow. Pipe burst down the street. And we had no water pressure. Couldn't shower for three days. Snow is great, but only in places that are prepared for it. Yep. If it snows in your area once a year, that is a really difficult thing to prepare for. Mm-hmm. It just is. And everybody listening to this knows that. It's in the heat of the moment, natural reaction is just to get mad. But then think about this. Think about a business that would only have one day of year to be relevant. That's why Christmas gets extended so far because people don't want to just be relevant on December 25th. Right. All right, that's why Halloween and you know Thanksgiving gets overlooked. But Halloween has it's Halloween season, mm-hmm. okay? Because you get you get a month, you get October. That's yours. If you were just relevant and needed for one day, 
the amount of time and resources and energy put into that would be so unbelievably minimal that it'd be hard to prioritize that. And how would you know when that one day is gonna come? So it's easy for me to say right now, because I also know that if it ever, for whatever reason, snowed in Orlando, I would be really frustrated because everything would shut down and I would say there's an inch of snow, why can't we just plow this and move on and get on with our lives? That, that is still something that I have learned to kind of understand as you get older here of how difficult it can be to plan for that and how difficult it can be to react to that when it is so unbelievably infrequent and it takes time, money, resources, all those things to, to have any sort of preparedness. And I'm sure you deal with that a lot more in Atlanta because when it snows in Atlanta, it's hard probably not to get frustrated with the lack of urgency from people taking care of said snow. Yeah, Atlanta, so so he talked about the Texas situation. That was like almost, obviously everyone knew it was a bad situation, but it's like, yeah. it was almost underreported how bad that was for people because they were so unprepared. And I would say like Atlanta is set up a little bit similarly in that, you know, like you said, it's kind of a warm weather city and a lot like Texas, a lot of the people that are kind of like running the government are from there. It's not like, you know, a place like Florida where you have people from all over. It's like, no, no, like we really just kind of do this. And so, yeah, I mean, you get, you know, like that, that uh, snowpocalypse photo looks, I mean, hate to do this overblown thing. It looks like the walking dead, right? Where it's like all these people are leaving and there's one person coming yeah. in and it's like, yeah, like so, and, and, and the thing about Atlanta too is it is a little bit of an older city, especially in the South, right? Because it was like kind of this hub for a long time, a little bit similar to New Orleans where it's like some of that infrastructure is you know, getting a little bit old. So like you see, like we always used to joke about like where, where um, Marley used to live, like the power lines there were just like ancient. And it's like, yeah, like there are some parts of Atlanta that's just like not well put together. So everyone's experience in Atlanta is so different based on where you live and what your little municipality is. And that's kind of the case among a lot of the Southern places. My guy, uh, Greg Gaston, who does Memphis radio, I've been doing his show for like four years or something like that. He was without power for a week mm -hmm. at his house because of uh, sub-freezing temperatures and they got a little bit of snow, but like really not much. And he got to the point where, all right, you know, two, two days passed, three days passed, okay, this is frustrating, but other people are in my spot. And then you kind of look around and when everybody else has their power back and then you're still sitting there four, five, six days and you're thinking, okay, somebody has failed this system. We weren't ready for this. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating to see this lack of preparedness. That's when I think it takes on a little bit of a different light. And I, I trust me, I mean, I was, I was angsty two days without power after Irma, and I can only imagine going through something like that three times as long, and I'm sure many have, have dealt with that with the occasional snow in the South. But you talked um, about it though with the Nebraska thing. I think you have a good point there. It's like, if you live in Nebraska, you know there's gonna be snow. So you have no excuse for not being able to handle okay, snow. Right. But it's like, if you're yeah. in a Southern place, it's like, they don't know what that one day of the year is. It's not like they're like, oh, it's Christmas. You gotta get ready for this day. It's like, that day is Tuesday, <laughs> so figure it out. Yeah, it, and that's that's just such a, a big part of this this entire thing of of just understanding. Hey, this is kind of what snow looks like. Well, I was talking to my, my buddy Drew, who just went on a skiing trip um, up north, and he was saying how they they were expected to get like I don't know, it was like six inches of snow or something like that, and he was worried that it was going to cancel flights and they're they're supposed to be traveling. And he asked somebody who worked, I think it was at, at the ski lodge that they were staying at. Are, are we going to be all right to be able to get out? And they're like, oh yeah, that's that's nothing. What are you talking right. about? Yeah, yeah. Let's be clear. Like everything will be fine. This we're we're built for this, of course. We're built different. But yeah, just built different. Northerners built different. Remember that. Sturdy. <laughs> uh, by the way, your buddy, uh, your buddy Brady. Um, yeah, yeah, your buddy Brady said, uh, if anyone answers yeah to driving in snow, 
I know they're lying based on what I saw in Birmingham during the snowpocalypse. Oh, yes. That was, for the smallest amount of snow, there was the most, there was the greatest amount of accidents per snow in the history of human civilization there. Because literally, yeah. it must have been an inch of snow, bro. But it was like, everybody was like, like it was horrible. Yeah. Um, Joshua Morris says, I neither avoid it or seek it. But ice is a whole different story. Yeah, I love to drive in it when it's not a problem because listening to snow crunch as I'm driving or walking through it is satisfying. He's right. Mm -hmm. No bad memory of snow, but on a snowy morning, I wrecked my second truck on ice and totaled it. Love snow, hate ice. Uh, Fair. Ice is bad. Yep. Black ice, the absolute worst. Don't mess with it. Avoid it at all costs for sure. Um, Let's do a couple more here. Kelsey Picker says... Oh, and em- Emery Picker just sent, he, he, Emery went to his first HOA meeting. And yes. uh, that's, a, that's a little callback to figuring out we did a few weeks ago. And Emery shows up and he's got like long flowing hair now. So he's rocking like a tie-dye shirt. And, uh, and he shows up, tie-dye shirt, flip-flops. He's like, you know, pre-gamed it a little bit. <laughs> pre-gamed, everybody, everybody here was, it's like everybody here was 25 years older than us. Um, it's like, I definitely did not read the room. <laughs> You are figuring it out, dog. Oh, you are truly, yeah. you're the mascot right now. But you went, right. and that's the key. You gotta go to one, you gotta go to one. So Kelsey says, I love watching snowfall and cover the ground. Then we maybe get a day or two off work, but after that, I'm done with it. It's just a hassle because we, Southerners, are never prepared for it. Driving in it, hell no. Best memory, my mama, mama, I've never heard of that. I've heard mama. Mama. Oh, we, uh, never mama's heard mama. a big thing in this house. That's why I call my grandparents. Okay. All right, we're learning, we're figuring it out. Um, she says her mama, late 50s at the time, trying to snowboard down the five foot hill in the yard was her best memory. Um, worst memory, it snowed in Athens in college. I had gotten sick the day before and was prescribed some pretty strong cough syrup, but I didn't realize it at the time. I tried to drive in the snow slash ice high, basically because I didn't realize what the cough syrup had in it, but quickly turned around about a quarter mile from my apartment when a deer ran out in front of me and I about crap, we'll, we'll just say, yeah, she crapped, <laughs> about crapped her pants. My, my friends ended up coming to get me, but it was a terrifying experience. Okay, look, we have context here. Right. I'm not gonna say you made up the deer, <laughs> but there's a chance. There's at least, there's got to be, unless you had friends confirmed said deer, there is a chance that you might have been high enough off cough syrup to hallucinate a deer. Kelsey was scooting through that snow like Wheezy and it was seven, bro. Just, young moolah, baby. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I feel bad for you, man, because I, yeah, I don't want to do anything when I have cough syrup, like what I've been prescribed to. I just want to sit at home. So you're a brave soul for going outside in that situation. Did not think we would get a wheezy cough syrup reference, but <laughs> you never here know. We are. Sometimes they just happen, man. Unreal, man. <laughs> okay, um, let's let's do this one from. Uh, let's end with this one from Krista Kissinger. Krista says, "I live in Houston, and last February, a snowfall and a freeze caused the city." Not only to lose power for multiple days, but Houston also lost water pressure, which almost ruined a trip to Key West because the airport didn't have water. It's unreal how the city cannot handle weather. Thank goodness the flight got rescheduled to the next day because my now husband proposed that weekend. Oh, that's a happy memory. See, snow can bring good things. It is kind of like, snow kind of takes care of the mood in a weird way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I proposed to Lauren 
on a wintry weekend in Lincoln, Nebraska. We were celebrating our three-year anniversary and I knew that they were gonna have Christmas lights up in, this, in, in the Haymarket, the area that we were gonna be in downtown Lincoln and the ambiance was kind of taken care of. They're like, all right, this isn't, you know, I'm not trying to, to necessarily set the mood with some random 45 degree day. Like, there's gonna be snow. I'm gonna have that part kind of taken care of, a little bit romantic. It's not gonna be a Hallmark movie necessarily. I was but, about to you know. say, you guys are a big Hallmark family. So having the nice little snow drizzle in the background is perfect. It's weird how many people propose at the end of Hallmark movies. It's like, you guys haven't even dated yet. What are, you, what are we doing here? Come on now, that's the effect, man. Right. Uh, thank you to everybody who submitted answers to figuring it out. We have a lot of great potential guests in the works here, and hopefully we're gonna be able to lock down some of them moving forward, and they're, they're gonna be great. A lot of first-time guests that we're hoping to be able to get on. By the way, you can now basically watch all of our interviews that we do for the Saturday Down South podcast on our YouTube channel, Saturday Down South on YouTube. Go subscribe, do that right now. Leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast if you have not already done so. Go subscribe to our newsletter, our basketball newsletter, Blue Chip Grits, go do that right now. Join the Facebook group, hear your name read on air with figuring it out or bold and brash. Thanks guys. Talk soon.